need to explain the science behind MicroPay Freemium Gaming. For years, the concept behind gaming was simple. You pay for the game and you enjoy. With mobile apps, we now have the ability to make games that are boring and stupid. But if you pay for incentives, you're rewarded. Freemium. The meum is Latin for not really. It's a simple cycle. A never-ending loop based on RPGs. Explore, collect, spend, improve. But whereas those just use the concept of XP or experience points, we've introduced the idea of micro-paying with money. Money, 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 money. It's what everyone is doing. Freemium games are what's now. And it's all just a lot of harmless fun. And so in conclusion, the successful freemium game is based on five principles. Entice the player with a simple game loop. Use lots of flashing chickings and compliments to make the player feel good about themselves. Train the players to spend your fake currency. Offer the players a way to spend real currency for your fake currency. So they'll forget they're spending money. And make the game about waiting. But let the player pay not to wait. It's a surefire way to make lots of money. We understand micropaying, but can't the game hidden inside the charade just at least be fun? No, no. It has to be just barely fun. If the game was too fun, then there would be no reason to micropay in order to make it more fun. What's this? Your checks, of course, for 10 million American dollars each. So this is... everyone is doing this? Everyone is doing it. It's just the way things are going. It's the way things are going. I guess if everyone's just paying 40 cents at a time, it can't be that bad. Hi guys, and welcome to episode 9? Nine? 9. Uh, episode 8? Technically. Of uh, Unofficial Translation. Where two 20-somethings talk about something. And yeah. today, yeah. we're going to be talking about... Uh, freemium games. Um, so, freemium games are a game that's free but sort of premium, as you could tell by the intro. Um, on top of that, we're going to be talking about a term I think we coined, or maybe it's a slang term. No, I definitely think we coined it. Um, anytime you use it, I want a 10 cent royalty. The word yeah, is gambling. Gambling. So uh, gaming and gambling combined. So today's episode, we're going to talk about freemium games and gambling. More specifically, why are freemium games so popular and what has compelled the switch from being okay with free and then buying? On top of that, we're also going to talk a little bit about the ethics of gambling and kids playing these games. So uh, of all the podcasts, I know you have was telling me before we started recording that of most of the podcasts we've done so far, this is one that I feel like we have a lot of personal experience with. Yeah, I mean, just growing up being too like young guys that played video games growing up and were always interested in playing video games and for example had FIFA phases where we'd buy player packs and um, buy bought DLCs for Call of Duty and all sorts of different things that we did to enhance our gaming experience and now looking back as uh, 20 somethings it's kind of interesting to see how the, the the gaming models have changed from being the standard, you're going to go into EB Games, buy a $60 disc, and that's all you're going to need for the game to play it. You can play it online as long as you have Xbox Live and PSN, blah, blah, blah. To now, just downloading a game off of the PlayStation Store or off the App Store on your phone, being able to play it completely free of charge, but now having the ability to make in-game purchases, yeah. in-app purchases, buy skins, player packs, 
all that sort of stuff. And that's, that's kind of an interesting transition that we've seen in our lifetime going from the standard, like I said, to just buying a disc and that yeah. being the end all be all for yeah, the game. Yeah, exactly. The, the rule used to be you'd buy a $60 game and that's all you're paying for it. You know, you're paying 60 bucks, you're playing the game, and then in two years, maybe another version of the game will come out and you can play that. Um, and then online started becoming a thing. And um, then DLCs, I think, started becoming a thing. And Wendy's DLCs, I think they're uh, short for downloadable content. Yeah. content. Uh, they would cost some extra money. So this is like the first inklings of it. And as you said, we see it in FIFA. We saw it in other video games. Uh, and then suddenly the entire industry is centered around this freemium model. If you don't think you've heard of a freemium game, think again, you know, Fortnite, Call of Duty Mobile, uh, a lot of Call of Duty games, almost basically every single uh, Battle Royale game. Yeah, aside from PUBG that you play on the PC or on PlayStation, even PUBG Mobile, for example. Yeah. League of Legends, Clash of Clans. Candy Crush. Exactly. So uh, there's a lot to talk about this episode. And uh, we're both pretty excited to talk about it. So the term freemium is used to describe games that are free to play, obviously, but require money to unlock certain features. So these features can include anything from customization options to large amounts of in-game currency, which is legitimately like the intro. You trade in real money, to take fake money back. It's, it's really, I mean, in a weird way, no different than credit. Yeah, no, they're, uh, random fact, they're legit, like, semi-pro economists that deal with FIFA currency and selling it through third-party apps. And you can make a lot of money uh, selling really expensive players on these third-party websites, and it's actually pretty illegal. But um, talk about that later. But there are a lot of ways to spend fake money and so you can do it buying skins or you can buy skins directly for real money um in-game gems which is this currency it could be called xp cp coins some version of it's not real money but it costs real money and uh access to new levels which is sort of the origin of this so which is like dlcs or um in candy crush you had to buy other levels early on if you wanted more i remember um, buy more lives. Yeah, uh, even language apps like like Duo. Uh, if you run out of lives, you need to buy more lives or unlock languages. So it's free up until you mess up on spelling Hefla five times, and then you gotta buy. Mm -hmm. You know, so just like that, uh, and honestly, it goes on and on. I mean, another description of freemium is uh, these these developers who give away their service for free, uh, possibly ad supported, but maybe not. And then through this, they acquire a lot of customers very efficiently through things like word of mouth, For sure. referral networks, organic search marketing. Basically, all these people will be using this game for free. And, and because it's free, if you tell your buddy, hey, you should download this game, really the only barrier for them is whether or not they have space on their phone to download exactly. it. Exactly. There's, there's no cost of, of downloading it, really. Yeah. Like you got me to download 2048 really fast. Just because it was a game you found mildly entertaining and we're like download this game and i have no reason not to yeah there's no paywall like that exists with other games exactly so then what these developers will do is they'll offer premium priced value added services or an enhanced version of their service to their customer base 
So essentially freemium model is sometimes used to build that initial consumer base and then using like a marginal cost of producing extra units becomes pretty low. Yeah, I guess, so what, what does that mean? I mean, what, what do you mean by the marginal cost of producing extra units is low? Well, you gotta look at it. I mean, we're, you're spending real money for fake money. That fake money is fake. Those skins are fake. Oh, absolutely. That extra content is replicated. You know, if you're playing an Angry Birds level, it's just placing where those things are gonna be. Buying more levels doesn't mean that you gotcha. bought that value. The value is all in that foundation that was free. And then anything you're spending money on is essentially free for them to make. You know, it's not the expensive part. The expensive part was the free shit that they gave out. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right because because at the end of the day, the code has been written by the Code's time you written. download it in the app store or whatever it is, and anything that you buy or do to enhance the game, it's not like some guys sitting there being like, "Oh, Ehab bought this, so let me write him some code that's proprietary to him. No, mm -hmm. the, the code's the exact same. That's what you mean code's by Code's the exact same. And I like to use the FIFA example. Like, a messy card and a 60, a rank 60 bronze card, like, they were the same code. They yeah. might economically create less messy cards than that bronze card in order to increase that fictional value and reduce inflation of this code virtual rarity yeah exactly but it isn't rare it's just code interesting i mean this this whole concept the freemium model it, it dominates mobile games yeah. for example and in the Every app game. store things from candy crush saga to clash of clans which i played quite a bit back in my early undergrad years. no i remember <laughs> These freemium games and the in-app purchases that come with it account for about 70 to 80% of the $10 billion or more in iOS app store revenue each year. Take that in. Of all the paid content on the iOS store, 70 to 80% of that revenue is the result of these freemium games and, and, and in-app purchases. That's just the iOS store, I'm sure. The Google Play Store is the same story. Absolutely. Yeah, but you know, it's not really limited to mobile. As we said, things like Fortnite and other of the most popular computer games are using that freemium model. Like, but these games have started to generate criticism. And obviously the criticism is back in the day, you'd buy Halo and you would get all your achievements if you were really good at the game. That's the only way you got all the cool skins. You were really good. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, it seems like if you have some extra cash to burn, you're going to get all of these extra benefits of having the game, essentially favoring money over skill. Mm -hmm. Actually, that, that, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but that kind of reminds me of, uh, we have a really good friend that um, Hattie and I grew up with who actually made money back in elementary school, basically taking people's Xbox accounts leveling up their um people's halo to level 50s and then basically selling that back and essentially yeah. do like i mean in in a sense kind of making a market for freemium where it didn't actually exist to yeah. get people their level 50s because they didn't have the skills to get it themselves so they paid their way to get it essentially freemium games are also ruining young entrepreneurs <laughs> is what we're saying 
but maybe it's about an alignment of goals. I mean, the freemium model offers users the core product, aka the game, for free, and then optionally charges them for premium content, such as the in-game currency, extra content, blah, 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 all we've, we've talked about that. But but you don't have to purchase it. Like, you know what you I mean? You don't have to. I've played, I, I play freemium games all the time. Actually, I've talked to you about this many times. I refuse to buy a game now because I know that some great titles like, like uh, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, um, Apex, Fortnite, which I'm not a big fan of, but well, hey, Apex it's a is great- Apex is free, no? Apex is free, yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. I, I refuse, because the, they were able to create these games and put them on the app store for free, I'll let other people buy the battle passes and the skins and spend their money so that developers continue publishing content yeah, in these exactly. games. But I refuse to I, I refuse to pay for it and I'm happy to say that I haven't bought a battle pass yet. You know what I mean? Like I haven't spent any money on these freemium games. So there's the obviously that option to not spend. But the issue comes, we'll talk about it a little bit later, where kids have their parents' credit card account, uh, credit card information on their account. Now you can see how that would create a little bit of a problem yeah. when they start getting a little trigger happy, wanting to, once again, like, like find these shortcuts to higher skill level and, and cool skins that their friends have and don't have, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and you know, it's crazy because some of the best versions of this you know, exists not on mobile, like League of Legends or Hearthstone. And um, we're also gonna get into this outside of kids. You know, you haven't spent any money on games yet, but we're gonna get into the psychology of like, what would push you over the edge or what environment would you need to be in? Because when I played League of Legends, I never spent money on games. You know, I never spent any extra money on like skins or anything like that. But then I had a bunch of friends who I would play with and we'd play, if you've never heard of League of Legends, it's a five player game. And if all five of you guys are friends and are on a separate call, it can be really fun. And everyone else has skins and someone gifts you a skin. Suddenly you have a skin now and maybe you want a second one or a third one. And suddenly you're spending money on the game. Same thing with FIFA and Ultimate Team. It ends up becoming something you just sort of do. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's once you break that seal. It's once one you break that seal, you're just gonna keep on buying. But it's obviously the most popular game model, maybe the most effective, but how did it get to this point? Just off the top of the dome, I, I think at least in, in if, if I was to think of one of the earliest examples that I could think of, online poker or other online casino games like blackjack, uh, roulette slots that that stands out as maybe one of these early examples of this uh, of this freemium model and yes people do play slots online that's a thing but yeah. on many of these sites you can go and create an account and play uh, poker for free but then once you're confident in your skill you, you think you have a really good online poker face you think you understand the game well you can now start playing with real money on many of these uh, on many of the same sites or you can switch sites and now you're playing uh, for actual money. And and this is kind of arguably one of the earliest versions of these uh, yeah. premium games, at least on an online browser. And, and I would call it one of the earlier versions of gambling as well. Although people may argue that this isn't gambling. This is gambling because the games are traditional gambling games. Mm -hmm. But when put in an online setting using online currency, how is it really any different? And we're gonna get into gambling specifically a little bit later. But free-to-play games, which is sort of the precursor of this with, 
I guess my distinction being free-to-play games, their ability or to be premium was through microtransactions and DLCs that actually just added a little bit to the game rather than like skins or in-game currency. So those sort of began in the 90s, uh, early 2000s and are the inspiration for the freemium model. So examples of these free-to-play like games that were really successful uh, were like MMOs that were targeted towards children and, and casual gamers like Neopets, uh, RuneScape, mm -hmm. or, or MapleStory. They oh, were yeah. like free, but then like you could buy some extra stuff, you know? Uh, EA, you know, um, obviously very popular. EA Sports. in the game. Exactly. Sorry, that didn't sound like him at all. It was all. good. We'll edit it. Yeah, we'll edit it. No, we won't. No, we won't. Maybe. Um, they they created sort of a free-to-play concept um, when they when they had their FIFA online version solely in Korea, which ended up being really successful. Mm -hmm. And then I guess uh, later on in the late 2000s, many subscription-based MMOs transitioned to the free-to-play model, like uh, Dungeons & Dragons Online. And this seems kind of counterintuitive from a money-making perspective for some of these developers like moving from subscription base where they're bringing in revenue every month to a free-to-play model but for many of these developers this actually was beneficial for example uh sony entertainment um they they transitioned everquest from a subscription model into a hybrid um free-to-play subscription game model and this was followed by a 125% spike in item sales in, wow. in, in the, in the I guess, the game store. And 150% uptick in unique logins and over three times as many account registrations. So maybe that hybrid approach was best for um, EverQuest as opposed to getting people to upfront pay whatever it is per month and not necessarily knowing if they'll like the game. It's, it's better for so in, in, in from Sony's perspective to have people try the game first. If they like it, like a free trial, now they start paying the prescription model or however they had it set up for EverQuest. Yeah. And a lot of these changes and uh, I guess uh, the transitions are probably due to things like the increased connectivity of the internet mm -hmm. and ability of globalization and connection between peoples in different countries. So you can see that this freemium free-to-play model didn't only affect games. It's sort of become ubiquitous in all things. Yeah. You know, you, you see it related to things like tiered services outside of gaming, uh, like LinkedIn. You can get LinkedIn Premium mm -hmm. or Badoo or Tinder, you know? You can get Tinder Premium. Yeah, that's a thing? Yeah. It allows you to see who likes you. Mm. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Yeah. Takes the fun out of it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but things like that. And LinkedIn, same idea. You get to see who's on your page. Uh, you get to see um, like your, your potential hires and you yeah, get yeah. increased visibility. Yeah, people headhunting more uh, apparently. And now that I think about it, Tinder probably just does exactly what LinkedIn does. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Instead of prospective businesses, it's pers like prospective people. Yeah. So it's in tiered services as well. And other things have like a sort of uh, like a soft paywall uh, that are sort of similar to this tiered service freemium free to play model, like New York Times. Like when you log in, you can read a little bit and you get to enjoy that or you get to read a full article. Yeah, but yeah. then when you want to look at another one, there's like a little bit so of a paywall. You've reached here. your one article limit for yeah. the year of 2020. Yeah, or get rid of ad block or something like that, right? Which uh, basically gives you a taste, but not the whole bite. And um, what we're trying to illustrate, though, is that 
uh, people only really started to pay attention to this Freeman model recently. Like what we were talking about history, we were saying late 90s, early 2000s, ubiquitous late 2000s, and really like outside of gaming entirely in like the 2010s to now, 2020. Mm, yep. Now, um, it sort of existed in, w- in one way or another, but it's obviously more popular. Like, or at least it seems more popular. It does. Maybe we're more, more cognizant of it now. Perhaps. Maybe we're older, we're more cognizant. But it is like I think it is more popular because you look at a game like, like think think of a game that came out recently that was the most popular game in the world that wasn't free. Like right right now it's probably Among Us, which is free, which you can buy skins and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it uses a League of Legends model. You know, before that I think it was Fortnite probably yep. for a really long time, also free. Yep. What was before Fortnite? Um, Pokemon Go, Pokemon free. Go, yep. Also free, but you could buy stuff within the game. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I can't think of a paid game that was the biggest game in the world. Um, unless you jump to like Halo. Yeah, or like or Call like of Duty, like the Call of Duty series. Yeah, modern, even like Modern Warfare Three. Well, I don't know what the recent, most recent before Warzone was, but yeah. Because even things like PUBG were free on mobile. But they were paid on PC, PlayStation. But did those games do very well? No, it's just the mobile It's the mobile community that still makes PUBG somewhat relevant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Anyways, I mean, the, the point we're trying to illustrate is that this the, the popularity of this model has increased. And it probably has to do with the fact that it's beneficial for these corporations. These corporations realize that this freemium model makes them more money than getting people to buy the, the that $60 disc. But what kind of freemium games exist and how like and when did the popularity rise so drastically? So these games have risen in popularity as we've mentioned for many reasons the psychological reasons we're going to try to get into uh in a little bit but let's talk about these different kinds so one really popular uh one that many people have seen on mobile apps specifically are games by the company voodoo Mm -hmm. so have you ever heard of voodoo you know what tell me about voodoo okay so so voodoo um their their strategy is quantity their games they have hundreds of games on the App Store. I mean, type in Voodoo and scroll. They have many games. Now, um, their games basically are all the same. They're somewhat addictive and they are repetitive. And these games end up having ads every three or four runs. So they're sort of a temple run style where like you one thumb or two thumbs on the game, simple graphics. And when you lose, you really want to restart, and then you go again. Um, then an ad pops up. Now ads start popping up really frequently, and that is their freemium model. Get rid of the ads. Pay a dollar, pay two dollars, whatever it is, yeah. and you don't have to deal with ads. So they have hundreds of games, all pretty similar, all with this same model, and they end up making bank off of mm-hmm. this idea. So that's one is get rid of, getting rid of ads. So that's something Voodoo does, something other companies do as well. And I'm sure if you keep your eyes open on any app uh, that you're using, there's always some games that use advertisements. Yeah, but I mean, let's put this a little bit into perspective. I mean, do you know how much like some of these apps make or games in general? Like what 
sort of like revenue do these game publishers yeah. expect to make and what what do they make for some of these big headline games so i mean i would imagine in the billions of dollars and i think we're gonna go over that but i wanted to quickly just talk about some other versions of um how they would make their money so we talked about ads mm-hmm. right so ads aren't going to make you those billions of dollars that some of these bigger game franchises of course. would make but then you talk about if, but if you have a hundred apps each of them making you a million or two million dollars mm-hmm. off of people buying the ads um you're gonna that's making, pretty substantial stuff. yeah um then we can go into a game like league of legends now league of legends is very commonly known. I'm I'm not gonna basically what I'm gonna be doing here is I'm just gonna be saying a prominent game and, and the model and strategy of freemium that they use. So League of Legends, mostly from skins mm-hmm. and uh, packs or like uh, loot boxes, which is sort of like gambling, which we'll get into. But do any of these loot boxes skin? Does it actually enhance? Does it change the gameplay? No, you don't get any better at the game. So ethically speaking, it's not like you're paying for more skill. You're just paying to look a bit better. Mm-hmm. It's not like your armor is better. You have more HP or health or no. more mana. You, you, The game is exactly as it is. You're just a different color than you were before. Exactly. So uh, that's what League of Legends does. It's a skin model. Uh, you see this in games like CSGO, um, where you can buy a skin and it doesn't really enhance anything. Mm-hmm. CSGO is a bit different because you actually have to buy the game. You have to buy the game, yeah. And that actually leads us into another model, which is games that aren't free, but have freemium features, like in-game purchases, like FIFA or NBA 2K, where you can, in their ultimate team, uh, buy players or play that version completely free, but you'll be so much worse. Mm-hmm. You know, same with Battlefront 2. You have to buy the game. Battlefront 2 is a Star Wars game. Uh, you have to buy the game and it actually led to a lot of controversy because of how much ea was leaning on the buying to get better so much so that they got rid of it entirely in their next star wars game jedi fallen order interesting yeah the people boycotted the game i'm not even kidding they're actually not even releasing any other battlefront games they're sticking to jedi fallen order that's wild yeah wow and um so that's a version like that that can get dicey because people already paid for the game and getting them to pay more can lead to you know controversy so outside of that um we know that there's fake currency like clash of clans mm-hmm. um and other rpgs where the incentive is to just not wait yeah you know to to get rid of waiting uh you can buy exactly yeah or um, to restore lives all that sort of stuff yeah and um i guess now battle royale is something we mentioned at the top of the podcast battle royale games the idea is you have to get inside a circle within a given time with a hundred other players or some number of players and those games tend to be free uh with the incentives being skins or uh, things that don't really yeah different characters yeah. mostly skins um just the, the ability to upgrade your xp and level up quicker which yeah. gives you more opportunities to get cool skins um some rare skins stuff like that but at the end of the day like you said at the beginning of the pod there's like it's it's really just giving you access to a particular piece of code that changes an aesthetic feature of the game it doesn't actually make the game like make your character better than others and that's a fine line because some games do make your character better and others don't um now you're about to get into how much these companies have made i want to quickly just say 
that these companies make this money um, honestly sometimes from some unethical means like automatic transactions one tap auto renewal you know when you're playing on a mobile game it doesn't really seem like you're spending six dollars and 99 cents to get rid of ads when it just is one press of a button mm -hmm. especially if, for you to have a google play account you need to have a credit card already attached yeah. to the system it, it's it's not like you're pressing the remove ads button and then pulling out your credit card or your mom or dad's credit card or depending on your demographic and then putting in the credit card number and then pressing accept payment. No, you're just pressing remove ads and then it takes you straight through the app store with your credit card already loaded and bada bing bada boom. Or even like a face it. ID like check and suddenly you bought it. Yep. And I think this is extended outside of um, just games like things like Amazon with buying stuff, it's become a lot easier. Now with that in mind, uh, these companies have made a ton of money. So Ehab's gonna go over some of the highest uh, grossing revenue uh, game franchises yeah. and how many of those could be free. Absolutely. Games. So for example, um, so we just pulled up a simple Wikipedia page. Most of these uh, revenues are as of 2019, but Pokemon over its lifetime um, has made about $19.5 billion in revenue. Now, if we look at the, and then we're talking about the Game Boy, um, the, the Nintendo console version of the Pokemon game. Yeah, so the Game Boy, Nintendo. Exactly. Uh, now, the only version of Pokemon that was free was the mobile version. Pokemon right? Go. Now, Pokemon Go, since its release in 2016, has made about $4.8 billion. So let's do the math. One fourth almost. The first Pokemon came out in 1996. So from 1996 until 2016, they made about what? 13 billion. And then from 2016 to 2019, they made 4.8, almost $5 billion. That's insane. And my mind- From just the mobile game. From, ju from, just the, from just the mobile game. Now we move on to other mobile games like Candy Crush Saga. 5.4 billion dollars clash of clans has made seven billion dollars wow pubg mobile this is interesting has made almost four billion dollars but if we look at pubg the actual just game um like because it's it, for those that don't know it was initially this pc console game that came out where i think you pay like 30 dollars you got the game and then a few, uh, I guess a, a little bit later, they released PUBG Mobile. Now the paid version of the game has netted about, let's do the quick math here, about $2.2 billion. Now PUBG Mobile, the free version, the sorry, the freemium version of the game, 3.7 billion. So that freemium version, mobile app version than, of PUBG almost doubled. has made, yes, almost double what the $30 console PC game has made. Wow. That's insane. And then th this this list goes on and on. Uh, games like Clash Royale, which is a spin-off spin of Clash of Clans, has made $3 billion on its own. So Supercell off of Clash Royale and Clash of Clans has made $10 billion. Ah, Tencent, that's a Chinese company. It is. Um, they also do the NBA broadcasting. Exactly, and and 
What's crazy is Tencent on on sorry on Clash Royale and Clash of Clans combined has made almost as much as FIFA, the FIFA franchise, <laughs> since 1993. And that's just in a couple years, probably okay. a couple high intensity years of Clash of Clans of freemium mobile games. You can go download these games for free, play as much as you want for free. You don't have to spend any money on these games. But somehow they made $10 billion. But somehow they made $10 billion. I'm not gonna go into this list more and more because you're just gonna hear, like, I mean, it, it, this, these are just some of the high yield, high value yeah. games. But I mean, this, this, like you can, you can find more and more examples yeah. the more you search. And so I think Tencent's a good example to bring us into our next segment. Um, they have their Clash games, and that netted them $10 billion. So it's a free game, but mm -hmm. they made $10 billion. So how did that happen? What is the psychology of them making that much money? So what makes these games so effective? AKA, like, what is the psychology behind these freemium games. What compels someone to spend money on a game that's free to play? I mean, I'm sure it comes down to multiple things, but some things that I think is common to all of these games are rewards or milestones for completing tasks. So let me take it back a little bit. My first experience with this was back in the day. I love when I say back in the day with console gaming, um, as if back in the day was so long ago. Um, being it sort of is at this uh, at, at this point. Yeah, I mean, like we're talking like pre twenty ten. Yes, pre twenty ten, like around like early twenty ten. The emergence like, of of online games. Yeah, yeah. I think online gaming became big for me with Call of Duty Black Ops One, that which was, was huge two thousand and nine. But anyways, like the, with these games, what I guess what I'm trying to explain is. You want to try, at least at the time, I wanted to get as many achievements as I could for whatever game it was. So for some reason, it gave me some sort of satisfaction hitting these achievement milestones or maintaining whatever KD. For example, in Call of Duty, beating the campaign on the hardest difficulty level, and then ping on my Xbox 360 would come up an achievement for beating it on, the, on veteran or whatever difficulty level it was. Although I gave you a non-freemium example, this directly translates to freemium games. Yeah, and um, so it's 2010 is Call of Duty Black Ops 1. And uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's like a bit of a, a crutch to help you get to that goal. And that could be reinforcing. So another example is let's look at the mega battle royale games, uh, the recent ones like Fortnite, Apex Legends, and, and like Call of Duty, which is sort of adopting that model now. Too. So you can download these games for free and you can still level up, but uh, the process becomes slower. Uh, you can uh, you can unlock like cool loot like skins, uh, but it also takes longer and the options are more limited. But if you buy something like a battle pass, all of a sudden you're leveling up with each game you play and unlocking cool skins every other game. For most of the population that finds the uh, leveling up and unlocking of skins like rewarding or gratifying, that's probably what's going to compel them to switch from like, free to premium to give them that crutch to get to that reward. Mm -hmm. And like 
with these battle royale games, they're just one class of games that operates on a freemium-like model. But what about freemium games on the App Store, for example? The way these games and apps are designed is to is meant to elicit the same sense of gratification that I just explained in Call of Duty, for example. Oftentimes, these games employ what are called reinforcement schedules. So let me illustrate this to you with an example. Many people are familiar with the game Clash of Clans or Candy Crush. We spoke about them briefly earlier, but in both of these games, you have a limited number of lives or in the case of Clash, a limited, limited number of attacks. And when you first start playing the game, the game's really easy. You're learning to play the game. You think you're super smart. You think you're amazing at it. So you don't really lose lives for a while. And as you go on, the game gets harder. So for example, if you're playing Candy Crush, perhaps you reach a level at some point, whether it's level 100 or level 2000, that you can't beat for a while and you end up losing all your lives. Once you use those lives, you need to wait X amount of time before another life is generated for you to play again. So what do you do? You wait that period of time, you get a notification, open the app again and continue where you left off until you run out of lives again because you're on level 2000. This is an example of that reinforcement schedule that has a payoff in the end, aka you oh, waiting wow. to play the game. So it's like they start off by getting you addicted to the game because the game is easier. And then once you're at, like addicted, then they take it away from you cold turkey. And they're like, you can't get this for eight hours, you know? So instead, you find out that if you pay 99 cents, which is just one tap away, you can jump right back on the game. And that's only for the lives version. So imagine with, with other versions, like uh, getting you to that uh, level up or that skin or something with different environmental factors. It's very addictive. Now, uh, back to that, like if you're really anxious to beat Candy Crush, like the one you're stuck on, or go attack a base in that Clash of Clans example, uh, the game is essentially giving you two options. So as I said, you either wait or you pay. Now that at the beginning, you could probably just wait. But then if you, as you said, lose your lives again and have to wait again, you might be more inclined to pay. And it's like a tattoo. Once you get your first tattoo, you just might keep on getting tattoos. Exactly. And kind of just like when you go buy something from the store, you want to justify that purchase. You can think that, you know what, that purchase wasn't the greatest idea, but you want to confirm to yourself that the money you spent wasn't wasted. So it kind of like, it, it once again feeds Snowballs. into this psychology where you're reinforced, like you're playing a game and the game is supposed to give you pleasure. And then full stop comes, Tencent says, no, you have to wait two hours before you can play again. So you obviously, you want to keep that dopamine flowing. You want to keep that enjoyment level going and you'll do it at whatever cost. As once you break that seal, you, like you said, you continue paying. And that explains these gigantic revenues by these, by these app developers. Now, uh, that's pretty cool. The fact that it can do that, right? I mean, it's obviously unethical, but we do want to like quickly bring up some positives about it. And I thought of sort of two. So two positives about this model, um, is that it is eliminating piracy. So mm -hmm. when you have a game for free, you're not going to get a bootleg version of the game coming out. That's very true. So that's one thing that's pretty great. Uh, the other thing 
would be that some people would argue that freemium games are just the natural evolution of arcade games where you would just put a quarter or two quarters in to a game play the game and if you lose then you got to put another quarter or two quarters in mm -hmm. and although it's a small amount they're asking that amount can snowball until suddenly you're spending 10 20 100 dollars on this game and i think that's a lot of the similarities and i think if we look at the history that we sort of discussed earlier on in the podcast and how it's snowballed to here i think it's sort of been a natural progression So who plays freemium games? There was an Australian study uh, that was published in the, the Journal of Behavioral Addiction in 2016 that actually compared the characteristics of, I believe it was 521 paying and non-paying Australian freemium game players who completed an online survey. Now the results showed that paying players were more likely to be younger, male, speak a non-English language and have a university education than non-players. Paying players were more likely to be uh, more highly involved in these games, probably because there was a monetary incentive, and uh, they played more frequently and engaged more and emphasized social interaction more strongly as a motivation for playing. Probably for me thinking if your friends are playing the game and spending money, you probably will too. Mm -hmm. And are, are, I guess the, the, the question this leads us to is, are these games a gateway to gambling? And we think sort of, but more likely than not, these games are already making players practice gambling and, and practice making, I guess, or making risky decisions and, and acting out their, their decisions. Yeah, uh, and spending money like without much thought, mm -hmm. you know? So how does this affect kids? Gambling in kids, like the term that we sort of coined, which we'll just call gambling, Yep. Because it is gambling with just like an intermediary there to change currency to fake currency. Now, if you have like a PSN account or an iOS account, and kids now have phones at 11 or 12, those will probably have a credit card like, attached to your Steam account, for example. Mm -hmm. Like it requires that credit card backing. Now, uh, games like FIFA for Ultimate Team, 2K, Call of Duty, League of Legends for skins, CSGO for skins, every single mobile game. Uh, these crates, uh, which we're gonna call loot boxes, uh, cost a fake currency. Now fake currency costs real currency, and now you buy a mystery crate and it becomes gambling. Because you could get a rare card or a rare skin, or you could get a shit card or a shit skin. And that's variance is essentially gambling and they, and they literally with these crates they'll literally give you a pot like like you know how like at the bottom of your tim hortons cup it says you have a one in nine chance of winning a prize and it could be any of the prizes ranging from a donut to a car these loot crates in games do the same thing they have disclaimers saying that i, I know at least in call of duty for example where it's like you have like a five percent chance of getting this epic gun skin and who knows if those percentages are even real absolutely you have no idea but i mean it's it's set up in such such a way where if you're going to spend 50 coins i'm going to actually calculate my odds of getting this rare item because all the other items in the box i don't actually want i'm buying this box for the one 
item of the 10 potential items, but that one item has the lowest probability. It's, it's, it's like going and buying a lot of 649s. Or Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Or, or Yu-Gi-Oh cards. You go buy a pack of Yu-Gi-Oh cards hoping for a, a blue eyes green dragon. Is White that- dragon, sir. <laughs> White dragon. Anyways, you get my point. Yeah, and so we saw an article by a business insider inside the UK, and the article sort of saying that these games um, in the UK are already being considered gambling. So they said the House of Lords published a report on the harms of gambling, and they found that in the UK there are 55,000 problem gamblers aged between 11 and 15. Wow. So, included in the report's findings on problem gambling was the recommendation that so-called loot boxes in video games be immediately reclassified by the government to fall under the remit of 2005 Gambling Act. So, that would essentially mean, like, taking it from a kid's game like FIFA with a loot box and making an 18A game. So, it would be E for everyone in the UK. Now, how does a loot box really work? Well, they vary sort of from game to game, but generally they work like this. You buy a loot box using either in-game currency or real money, and it gives out a randomized reward. Now, they give you something superficial, like a new item of clothing, um, or like something that you can put on your game character, but they don't give you like any actual edge over other players in the game. Now, research from the University of York in 2019 found that 71% of the top games on Steam which is sort of the main platform for PC, PC gaming. gaming. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, contained loot boxes. Wow. I mean, in some games, players are able to trade the rewards they got from loot boxes with each other for real money. And this is this is really prevalent in Call of Duty, for example. Oh, sorry, call, not Call of Duty. I don't know. I've said Call of Duty so many times this podcast. In CSGO. Um, loot boxes and this accompanying practice of trading items are collectively known as microtransactions. In 2018, a report from analysts at Juniper Research found microtransactions generated $30 billion in sales for gaming firms or apps and projected that the industry could be worth $50 billion by 2022. And I imagine with the onset of COVID, I'm I'm sure this this report came out before then because it was, and by I'm sure it came out in 2018. It's now 2020. People have been gaming a lot more because of COVID. I'm sure those projections have definitely changed. And that's probably already at that 50 yeah, million. Absolutely. So I guess the, the, going back to the main question, do loot boxes create gamblers from kids? And should more countries do what the UK is doing to try and control this? Now, for some researchers, the data simply isn't there to justify the new laws in the UK. So a quote by uh, Professor Pete Etchells, Uh, says that we're really only in the early phases of gathering scientific research evidence about the nature of loot box effects. So he was a psychologist, not was, he is a psychologist specializing in video games at Bath Spa University. It's an interesting name, right? right. (laughs) And he further told Business Insider that what we really need is a clearer and stronger evidence base before legislation is changed. So what's the consensus here? I mean, what do you think about the freemium game model? From a financial standpoint, it seems like game developers, correct me if I'm wrong, are making a killing. And in many cases, more money than they'd be making if they charge an upfront $60, $40, $30, whatever it is cost for the game. It also seems that this freemium model is increasing accessibility to these games. You don't have to, I mean, you don't have 
to, to know if you'll like the game to try it. If your friends are playing it, it's free, your device has the specs and the storage to run it, you're really not losing anything by downloading the game and playing it. And if you want to choose to spend money after that, you're more than welcome to. But if you don't like it, then you don't. It is what it is. Now, the freemium model has also led to some really fun and enjoyable games. Like some of my favorite games I've ever played are using this freemium model. Like that summer with Pokemon Go, I never paid a cent on it. But everyone was playing that game because it was free and accessible. You look at games like um, Fortnite or PUBG, these are free games. They're accessible to everyone. Whoever chooses to pay can, and that can fund this game so that it can continue to be like really worthwhile. So the only issue like I would say I have is that perhaps some controls need to be put in place to protect the younger generation from developing habits from a young age, either spending money too often in game currency, having that reward system that needs mm -hmm. to be like that dopamine sort of, um, I guess like you need to depend on like Yeah, these, I mean, these games almost act like Pavlov's dogs, if you've heard of that, where you're, you're reinforcing, you're literally reinforcing behavior. Yeah. And it's just creating this, this rewarding, gratifying feeling that keeps gamers coming back, which is a good thing for the game companies. Obviously you want gamers to come back, but there's, there's this fine line where now it becomes a maladaptive process that's creating issues in society. Yeah. Especially for kids. Now, on top of all of these developed habits that aren't necessarily beneficial for children, uh, another thing is they could really be being uh, becoming more susceptible to developing early addictions to gambling. Now, or this risk-taking behavior in general. But as with most fields of study, more research is definitely needed to truly understand the impact of freemium games and their future in tomorrow and the years following.